Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have another edition of The Deciding Point. Of course, it's the summer edition of this Deciding Point series. And how does that differ from what you typically hear on this show? Well, of course, throughout the college tennis regular season, we use these Deciding Points to cover everything that happens in the Division I college tennis world. Here in the summer, we're going to use the Deciding Point to keep track of the many college tennis players, or I should say pros, with college tennis ties competing this summer on the ATP, WTA, and ITF professional circuit. Of course, we will try our best to record these shows each and every week as there are oh so many players with college ties competing in the pros every week. That said, we do apologize for missing last week's show. It's just simply on me. I've been lazing around at home, dare I say, using the summer to refocus on my own tennis game. And while I've made strides there, we owe to you listeners to keep you up to date on everything that's happening. And thankfully, joining me not just tonight, but hopefully every night on these summer editions of The Deciding Point is a man who, dare I say, has replaced me as the premier beat reporter on the college tennis in the pros grind. Of course, you all know him best as the returning champion of returning champions here on our Crack Racket shows. Founder of the No Ad, No Problem blog and podcast where you can hear some really good interviews from the course of the past few months. Of course, we know him here as co-host of these deciding points. It's our dear friend, John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm good, Gruskin, but you know you are irreplaceable <laughs> in the college tennis zeitgeist cannot be replaced though uh can be replicated but not replaced well do we want to take the shot do we elevate them to the platform you know how sometimes they say when you're the leading candidate in the polls you don't swing down are we not going to swing down do you know what i'm thinking i know exactly what you're thinking and we're moving <laughs> right past that conversation. okay we're not yeah. going to swing down let's move by it look they how about this here's where we'll stop addressing it the most sincerest form of flattery is mockery, and we'll leave it there. So, yeah, we got plenty to talk about here on today's show. As always, we want to get into, again, how are all these players with college tennis ties, whether current or former or future college talents, how are they performing out there on the pro tour? What are the results you need to know most so that you can keep track of all the developments, be best prepared for the start of the 2024 college tennis season, which honest to God will be on us before we know it. Of course, on today's show, that means we get to talk Wimbledon, SoCal Pro Series, Challengers, ITFs. We'll get into the latest news as well to start today's show. And I do think it's justified here to start our news with a little bit of plug-in of what's been going on over at the No Ad, No Problem blog podcast sphere. Jay, 
I want to talk Jonah Braswell in a second because that's the biggest news, the rising sophomores transfer from the University of Florida to the University of Texas and where that has us moving forward. But before I do, I actually think the best interview, uh, this is such an, I'm such an, sorry, I I don't like the sentence even as it's coming out, but I'm just going to be honest. The best interview I think that has come on the podcast is your interview of the new Iowa State women's tennis coach. And I would love for you to talk to the listeners about, again, what you've been up to, because there's a lot of good stuff. Yeah, well, I recently had head coach Jared Mastis, who is now the new Iowa State head coach, come on. And that was a really interesting conversation I wanted to have. That's sort of my barometer for who and why I bring people on is like, would this be a conversation I'm curious to have and listen to? And that is a tough job, right? Iowa State, the Cinderella story from 2023, making first Sweet 16, first Elite Eight in program history. Head coach Boomer Saya, who built that program over the course of five years, leaves for the Clemson job. And a lot of coaches didn't want to take that job. Too many challenges. And Jared Mastis talks about that reality as well as the opportunity that he sees. And he's entering into a program that has one player returning on the roster, just one player. And what does that look like? So you can hear more about his thoughts on that opportunity, the challenges that come with it and some fun stories along the way. So that was, uh, I think that dropped last week. Mm -hmm. I just love that he didn't back away from discussing how aware he is of the challenge that there's no coding over the fact that they have one active player on the roster and just sounds enthusiastic to get to work, which I think you have to be at a school like that. And by the way, it's month one. It's easy to be enthusiastic now. We'll check in in month 13 where things stand. But no, I love that conversation. And then obviously to have Jonah Braswell on, which is maybe the most significant transfer we've seen of the entire summer now, just to catch all of you listeners up. I know we talked about this before, but Brian Shelton, off to the pros, former University of Florida men's tennis head coach, now coaching his son, top 40 player, Ben Shelton. You can understand that decision. Florida goes ahead and hires Michigan men's tennis head coach Adam Steinberg as the new Florida men's tennis head coach. And look, anytime there's a coaching switch of that significance, there are always going to be questions about what the remaining players on the roster want to do. And I mean, look, this was already a Florida team that has seen the entire nucleus, the entire thread of that 2019 to 2022 run they've all gone to the pros or gone to law school or all doing their different things in life the point is they're not at florida any longer well i mean now neither is jonah braswell and look you can understand the sophomore's decision it's not like he's going far in the sense that he's joining his brother micah over at texas i do think it's worth noting hear a lot about Florida players in the portal and until there are official announcements again every player in the portal can just as easily go right back to school and I'm sure as they get to know Adam Steinberg who made the very wise decision of retaining I don't know if he's been promoted to associate head coach or not so I'm just going to call him assistant Matt Clore who was in the role last season I believe they retained Scotty Perlman as well who is the connective thread to those Florida teams of past but look you get a Jonah Braswell. Like, we'll talk about that Florida side in a second, but let's just talk about the fact we have on the board. Jonah Braswell goes to Texas. This is a team that lost McDonald. They lost Chi-Chi. They lost Aramilli. That's all they lost in theory. Spiz can come back. P.Y., Waldeep, Harper, Braswell. 
We saw what that nucleus of five and our Millie could do this past season. You throw Jonah Braswell, who was, I would say, one of the 10 best freshmen in the country from start to finish throughout the course of the year. Now, maybe his best wasn't as good as, say, Abbas Veretti or, say, uh, Sebastian Domingo at Notre Dame, but he was in the mix. You add that piece to your lineup, an experienced player, and you're not asking him to play one. You're not asking him to play two. Now you're saying, hey, you want to start out at six until you work your legs in. And then, you know, we'll see Cleve's going to get some days off. We'll give Waldeep some days off. If Spiz comes back, he wants to go play a pro event in Dallas. We're not going to have him for the weekend. You add a Jonah Braswell to your lineup who can fit in just about any position that they're going to ask him to. The question becomes, yes, Virginia brings back, and I'm shout out Alex Kiefer, the big four. But Jay. Is Texas now the favorite to capture the 2024 title? Well, it's a good question. And you mentioned like where Jonah can play in the lineup. He talks about that on my interview with him the, that came out today and discussing he wants to be a pro, right? And the opportunity to play with his older brother, Micah, Micah's last year at Texas, last year of eligibility. The hope is clearly to win an NCAA title. Micah has made two final fours. They want to win a team title, and to do that as brothers would be would be very special. Are they the favorite? It's hard to knock off Virginia, right, who's returning, going for three straight. They're returning their top three as well as Alex Kiefer. They're returning five of their top six players from the lineup. So I think it's too early to say that Texas is the unequivocal number one favorite, but I think you could easily throw them in the top tier, right? I mean, they were already probably there, but Virginia, Texas, Ohio State, these are top tier schools. And uh, and Texas, this Texas team is getting better for sure. This Virginia team is maybe getting better, but they do lose a critical piece in Ryan Getz. Now they're bringing in a freshman in Dylan Dietrich. How good will Dietrich be? Will he fill the Ryan Getz hole? Maybe not. So Texas is getting better. Virginia might not. And that's a part of the calculus. I love Nevin Aramilly. Love Evan McDonald. Love Chi-Chi. Got the chance to spend some time with them in Orlando. Three of the nicest guys you'll meet. I love you each. Sorry, guys. Jonah's an upgrade. Like, And with all due respect to Dylan Dietrich, if he is an upgrade, that will be a surprise because Ryan Getz lost, what, three dual matches the past two seasons combined or certainly fewer than seven dual matches and singles these past two years combined. And to ask any freshman to assume that sort of responsibility from putting up points perspective, I mean, now you're talking best of the best freshmen in all of college tennis. And look, the benefit for Dietrich is he's not going to be asked to play top three right away. And if he elevates himself into the top three, it means he is one of those special freshmen. But we don't know that about him. We know what we're getting in Jonah Braswell. And in that addition, again, there's just not a hole. If the Texas lineup is healthy, there's not a single hole in it. One through six, we'll see the doubles combinations, but I'll take Cleve, Spiz, Waldeeb, Micah, and build around, you know, again, all these guys build around it, find success as they certainly could. You mentioned it. It's a three-team tier right now. You have an Ohio State team that, in theory, brings back everyone but Trotter, and they replace James Trotter with a Bryce Nakashima, who's won two doubles titles on the SoCal Pro Series. And, you know, again, I don't know about the singles, whether it's him, Luchanik, working their way in, but you've got Robbie Cash sitting there at six for the indoor season as well. And we all saw what Anthrop Bernard did. So, you know, again, with those three coming back, you know what you're getting from Tracy, Kingsley, Boulay. 
they have to be a tier one team. And then, of course, Virginia has to be a tier one team. They're a two-time defending champ, and they bring back their nucleus. I haven't done my full look of the lineups. I haven't, you know, again, if Tien's back, him and Destanich as a top two at USC, that team getting hot as the season, you know, as they had him more frequently, we can talk about them maybe a little bit later. We know what the Stanford mythical lineup might be next season with all the pieces that are coming in, but I need to see it to believe it. I think it's a three-team tier right now until, you know, again, we get some fall results. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair, but I think of those three teams, Texas is the one that is clearly getting better. Yeah. Ohio State is taking a step back, losing Trotter. That is a downgrade, replacing him with Nakashima. And Virginia's an open question, right? Dietrich may as well be as good as Ryan gets. We just don't know yet. I'm not ready to say Ohio State's a downgrade. I know James Trotter was undefeated and unreal, but like, tell me Anthrop can't go and do that next season and just be like that undefeated five or four for them. And then it's yeah, like, but then who's undefeated or Robert close Cash, to undefeated. who lost one match at six. Like, that's what I'm saying is I'm not, not outside. To, I'm not willing to write it off yet is what is just what I'm saying is. So I'm not willing to say they got worse. I'm will. I'm not willing to say they got better. Like, I agree with you there. OK, I fine. So they stay neutral. Yes, yeah, Texas they, just got ex- better. Exactly. That would be that was the compromise bipartisanship. We were getting there, folks. Who says it's dead? Um, I agree with you. I mean, I think that's the biggest news. We don't really have anything Michigan related. Like we have rumors, but it's the same rumors as they were two weeks ago. So nothing's changed. I mean, Clore again stays at Florida. Ryan Lippman, Vanderbilt to Texas, third coaches everywhere. Robert Kelly back to UNC. And just, you know, again, if you haven't hired your third coach yet, you're missing out. Um, I don't think we discussed Haley Carter leaving Vanderbilt for oh, North to go Carolina. To, you know what? I think it's because, look, I like to think I'm part of the Carolina family now. Um, that was a joke. That was a joke. Don't laugh at me. But perhaps that rumor might have flown my way. That's remarkable to go from Vanderbilt, which is a blue blood, to to be the Carolina, th- you know, not the third assistant, because I don't like that, but to go back home to Carolina to be an assistant there as well. I mean, again, thoughts? Well, I I don't want to spend too much time because I do think that this third assistant is like a podcast in and of itself because of just the the seismic changes we're seeing with so many mid-major head coaches going to be another assistant at a power five. The Haley Carter news in particular, though, is shocking because she is a year, two years out for being in the conversation for head coaching jobs, right? Given the pedigree that she has, I mean, she... A lot of opportunities have come her way over the years. And so that is a very, very surprising move when you think about someone's career arc and what that means for her and where she can go as a head coach. But uh, it wasn't the path I thought she would go down. But um, it, yeah, it, I was surprised. Yeah, it's it really is remarkable. I mean, again, you're right. It's its own podcast. We'll save it for a different time. But look, I mean. It's, it's crazy to keep saying the Carolina family keeps getting stronger. Like, I mean, I'm looking, you thought the Pepperdine podcast we did, Jay, was embarrassing heading into 2022. Just wait for the podcast we're going to do about UNC heading into 2024. I'm scared. Oh, I don't think so. I oh. think, yeah, I don't think it'll be as uh, overzealous as that Pepperdine one was. Yeah, that was, that was our low point. That was our nadir, perhaps <laughs> from a prediction standpoint, but that's everything from a news perspective, or at least 
everything for now. Again, we'll continue to touch on news as it unfolds throughout the course of the summer. I know they released new rules, regulations, et cetera, for the ITA as well. I'll be honest, I haven't read them yet, so we'll save it all for later editions here in the summer. But what we want to do now is talk about the players who have stood out over the course of the past week. Maybe some two-week-ago results might bleed in as well, but as Jay so aptly put before our show sorry if we miss you like sometimes you swing you miss there's a lot of results out there in the world and so we apologize if we miss on any of them the place we have to start obviously is at Wimbledon with Chris Eubanks who look in terms of approval ratings in tennis I would argue he's probably got the highest approval rating in the sport of any player I've never heard the negative spin on Chris Eubanks from anyone media fan otherwise and certainly has grown into a tennis Twitter darling deservedly so I think my favorite stat and look there's a lot of good ones he's now 59 and 29 over the last 52 weeks and after reaching the Wimbledon quarterfinal he's up to a new career high number 43 in the world to do that at 27 you know it's crazy we've seen him do it Hoffman do it. All these guys, they're not like 24, 25. They're in their late 20s now, breaking into the top 50. But Chris Eubanks, here's my go-to stat. He's now 25 and 34 overall in his career at the ATP level. Coming into the Miami Open this year, he was 11 and 28. Since the start of this year's Miami Open, 14 and 6 in ATP level events. Now, of course, the big two big runs, three big runs, excuse me, quarterfinals, Wimbledon quarterfinals Miami Masters title in Mallorca where it's worth noting beat Shelton beat Adrian Manorino um I mean those are the money makers I I joked around like he's going to be on tennis channel he's going to be on ESPN commentary for the rest of his life that's never in doubt now and he was already a skilled enough commentator to do it but now the results are there too there's just no denying his eventual spot in the booth but even beyond that To hear him talk about the confidence that a result in a run like this, you just now know you belong for a guy who had hovered from 120 to 270 in the rankings for a solid four years. You just wondered, had he hit that threshold? And then to see the way he built up his success over the last 52 weeks, the run of challenger results at the end of last season, Charlottesville final against Shelton, Knoxville final against Shelton, Champagne semifinals against Vukic, went overseas and had some success as well, qualifies for the U.S. Open. He did it the hard way. He's now top 50 in the world. He's making $250,000 at least over the next year because he's playing the next four slams. Like The points are just now there for him to do so, Jay. It's a life-changing sort of month. And it couldn't have happened to a better human. Yeah, I mean, there's really not much more to add to it. I think what makes this run so special is that we as tennis viewers or the tennis audience have been let into his journey over the last few years because he has been commentating, because he has done, you know, podcasts and interviews and talk so openly about that hey, maybe I've reached, you know, the pinnacle of what I can accomplish in sport. The reason he branched out into commentating was because it was like, hey, I need to have some other embers in the fire here if actually playing tennis doesn't work out. That might be familiar for some people on this podcast. But, you know, (laughs) that's why we all have found this rise to be so special is because we've seen uh, seen the ascent, right? And talked about the struggle. And it's so special to see, particularly this, I always say this is one of the most special things for me as a fan of college tennis is to see these players 
come up from juniors in college and make a breakthrough on the pro tour. And for some, it comes soon. And for some, it comes way later. But you're now looking at the class of 2017 men's rankings. Five of those top 10 players from 2017 are in the ATP top 100, all through their own various avenues and timelines. But a lot of them have done it. And for us as fans, particularly of college tennis, that's really special. Yeah. For the record. I knew the pro aspirations weren't there. I will say <laughs> when I was 16, that's when Fliegner and I became really good friends. Max Fliegner, original producer of the Great Shot podcast, still one of my dearest friends, played at Dartmouth, part of their Ivy League winning team back in, I want to say, 2018, 17, one of those two years. Anyways, we practiced together like intimately is the wrong word to use here, but it was just like me, him, and two other guys on the team for the first time a lot when I was 16, he was 15 going into my senior year. And that right there, and you're a junior in high school, you're figuring out, am I going to play college tennis or not? I was like practicing with him so much and seeing just the consistently how good he was. That was when I knew I was like, Nope, I'm not playing good college tennis. Cause I'm not that like anyways. So like I said, everyone's timeline is yeah, different. The point is uh, that's, <laughs> that, that, that's all I want to say here. Um, no, I have nothing to add on the Eubanks point from the narrative standpoint. I will say it's a testament to growing confident in yourself because I don't think from a tennis perspective, it's that different from what I saw in 2018, 2019. I think he moves forward a little bit more. I think he's more confident in his strength and asserting himself by swinging through his backhand. But it really does speak to man when you catch lightning in a bottle. Confidence is more important than anything else in this sport. And Chris has it right now. He's top 50 in the world with getting into the main draw of all these North American hardcore events down the season's home stretch. And then the indoor European events where his serve should be well suited for success. There's a runway now for Chris Eubanks. And again, could not have happened to a better guy. And by the way, take your time out on tour. I could use some time to catch up in the tennis channel repetition. So take your time. On tour, Chris, uh, you've certainly earned it. That's the most significant singles result from Wimbledon. Skupski wins doubles. I know that's, you know, his first men's Grand Slam doubles title uh, for Neil Skupski, the former LSU standout. I mean, pick a name out of a hat. They probably had success in the men's or women's doubles draw. Any other Wimbledon headlines we're missing, Jay? Well, the doubles, we just completed the collegiate slam. Last okay. four men's doubles titles have all been won by a former college tennis player. You had Ram and Salisbury at the U.S. Open, Illinois-Memphis duo, Rinky Hijikata at North Carolina-Australian Open, Austin Krychek of Texas A&M at the French Open, and now Neil Skupski of LSU. We are one slam away from the calendar year slam. Djokovic couldn't do it, but former college doubles players can. That's very well said. Yeah, if you emphasize the doubles point, you're going to learn some double skills. And again, just go look in the rankings, top 50, top 100. You can see the full list on Chris Haliorz's College Tennis Ranks website. So many college tennis ties in the top 100 of the doubles rankings. And yeah, I like that. They're going for the calendar slam here at this next. I didn't know that was a thing. It's good to know. I'm more, I'm stealing a tweet from you. I'm more, I'm more anticipating, more so than the U.S. Open men's doubles draw, the Champagne Slam, a.k.a. the crowning of the 2024 NCAA singles champion. We'll find out this week. Yes, Ethan Quinn, Ben Shelton have won the last two. They've gone on to win the NCAA singles championship. So the Champagne Slam is on this week. We'll talk about that in a little bit. 
let's get to some results we've seen over the past week, two weeks elsewhere in the world. I thought I was going to lead with the SoCal Pro Series. I think this is partially news as well. I think we've got to start with a hypothetical future college guy who, dare I say, is probably no more. And that's Alex Mickelson, who not only wins the challenger in Chicago, he beat Kane Ishikori. And look, if we would have done a show last week, I would have talked more about everything I saw at Bloomfield Hills. I'll tell you what, Kane Ishikori was playing good freaking tennis uh, in his run, uh, and he was knocked out, excuse me, in the round of 16 by Dennis Kudla. For Mickelson to beat him 6-1 in the third, you know, he goes on to beat Jerry Shang 6-3 in the third over two days and comes back that day to beat Yuta Shimizu 7-5-6-2. You look for Mickelson now, the 18-year-old up to a new career high of 190 in the singles rankings. Hard to imagine a world where he's not given a wild, I mean, he's not going to need a wild card into slam qualifying, but Hard to imagine a world where we don't see him in the main draw. I don't, he might be young enough to freaking play Kalamazoo as well. And I don't think he will, but like that he could. I mean, why not give yourself a shot at the wild card? 190 in the world, Jay. I was talking about this. I should have responded more than I did. Sorry, Colette, if you hear this, I love you. I'm going to call you soon. I was talking with the goat about this who hypothesized, I want to give her credit for the idea. When was the last time a player won a challenger before going to college? Not while in college, but before going to college, who still then went to college. I couldn't think of anyone. Like, I I can't imagine the list is long. Like, this feels like Tommy, who was committed to Georgia, and then he won junior French, and you're like, sorry, I'm not going. Like, look, I this is not meant to be disrespectful to Manny, to Jamie. It's just a matter of fact. You're 190 in the world. I don't think we see Mickelson go to college. What say you? Yeah, I mean, he's not eligible for Kalamazoo, okay. uh, so we will not see him there. He will be in slam qualities at the minimum on his own ranking. I think he's very likely to get a main draw wild card. Uh, so that will be good for Georgia. They'll be able to go and celebrate that. But look, I mean, I always get a little uneasy when we talk about these sorts of things because the language always feels strange or like should or shouldn't go to college when the reality is and we saw this with diana schneider this is a really personal mm-hmm. you know decision and everyone's factors are so different and none of us can know exactly what a single person is prioritizing or not so what i'll say about this is I would be very surprised if we see him in college certainly this fall i don't do not think that that is happening I would be very surprised to see him in college in January. It would be unprecedented, but we've started to see more and more unprecedented things happen. We just saw this on the women's side with Diana Schneider. There were factors there that Alex Mickelson does not have to contend with, right? Like being Russian. But yeah, I'd be very, very surprised. Yeah. Look, if he ends up going to college, I'm not going to knock him for the decision. Enjoy time in college. Like, amen, brother. At the same time, the ranking is there. That's the point I'm trying to emphasize is you're playing challengers and winning them. You're playing slam qualities. The level is there and you can continue to test yourself against the best of the best in the world. And when you have that opportunity so frequently, you see players take it. And so to your point, I just would not be surprised if he does decide to take that path now. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all. And I think also his results in these challengers are starkly juxtaposed to some of the results we are seeing from current college guys these last two weeks in Bloomfield Hills and Chicago. Not the greatest results uh, for a lot of these current college guys, whereas you have Mickelson winning the Chicago challenger. So, I I mean, 
yeah, I'd be very surprised if he decides to go. We'll all be elated to see him uh, and follow, but I don't think it's likely. Well, let's talk about that because you mentioned it at Cranbrook. None of the college guys made it to the quarterfinals from the Challenger Accelerator circuit. I don't believe Rodesh did either in Europe. You know, you look this week, shout out to Ethan Quinn, who does make the quarterfinals in yep. Chicago and Quinn gets good wins. I watched Tristan School Kate play. He made the semis the week prior in Bloomfield Hills. He is a physical, physical player. And you just can tell Quinn's weapons, they're going to work on the surface. Um, You know, again, beyond that, like Adam Walton's a year out. He's not through the accelerator. He's played some good ball of late, but like Nishesh gets a win. He loses in three to Jason Jung. I thought his level was there. Obviously, we see we saw Michael Zhang make a challenger final, though not with his accelerator ranking. I know Spaziri lost first round in two and two to Wall, and he lost first round in Bluefield Hills as well. Now we'll see him and Ethan this week uh, in Newport on the grass. Well, we course. saw Spaziri today he on win? Tennis Channel. Lose? He did not win. He had a set point, first set tie break, lost that, and then lost six zero in the second. It's tough. I mean, again, what have you thought of the, I mean, it's great to see these opportunities. The results, I don't want to say they've been underwhelming, but they haven't been overwhelming. I think they've been underwhelming. Uh, You know, I think we hardly have any main draw wins. I mean, Ethan Quinn makes the quarterfinals in Chicago. And I think Stevie post title. I think that's it. Um, You know, we've seen some progress in quality qualifiers but it's been underwhelming these first two particularly because these first are backyard tournaments for so many of these guys right i mean bloomfield hill chicago these are environments that these guys are used to playing at the xs tennis center my gosh they've played indoors there so i think it's been a little underwhelming um despite having a ton of guys in a lot of these events which is great to see but it's not so much that these guys are looking for the results necessarily as they are the experience, right? So just being out there, having these opportunities will do them a lot of good down the road. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's twofold also. They are, you know, again, they're facing guys who have been out there now for a couple of years. Like, first of all, Lexi Galarno, who's now top 220, who's made a bunch of challenger quarterfinals over the past year. And he and Adam Walton have worked their ways up the hard way. Man, their level is, they are better. Than they were a year ago. I saw them up in person. Lexi is far more physical than he was three years ago. It, it just takes the forehand early in a way that it's just a weapon. Now, I know he lost to Nishi Corey first round in Chicago, but I think Lexi's gotten a lot better. I think same with Adam Walton. Like there's just a little more chutzpah behind his ball and the physicality was always there, but I've seen him develop a little bit further. I liked what I saw of Abdullah Shelby in person. Like I get it now. The ball really does explode off of his racket. I think guys like Evan Zhu looked a lot better than I remembered his his game looking. But the guys who are coming from college this past year, yeah, they have not gotten a lot of wins. And it is just interesting. You know, again, I thought it would be a little bit quicker. I thought maybe I was projecting, but I was hoping we'd have a little college party in Bloomfield Hills. And we did in the sense that it was 2010 again, and it was Stevie Johnson and Tennis Sandgren, two of the OG college tennis uh, flag bearers. But yeah, like it was striking. I think it was the it was the physicality more than anything else. Like that's just something that's developed over time and as you're calloused up on the challenger tour. And I just I don't know. It, it, it that was to me the biggest difference. It just felt like sometimes it was a little bit boys still playing men. 
Mm. Do you think that that is age? Because in a lot of ways, you would think that if you're grinding on the challenger level, right, where you're going week to week at places that don't even often have the nicest gym facilities, Mm -hmm. right, versus a lot of these schools which have top tier gym and fitness programs, outside of age, I mean, why would a 21, 22-year-old guy from college be less able to physically compete with a 23, 24-year-old? Well, I think it's comfort and discomfort. I just think they're more accustomed to it. Like, look, the Cranbrook facilities were gorgeous, but it was 99 degrees out and it's 2 p.m. And with all due respect, like the college guys, it's not that they haven't been practicing and haven't been working, but you're just not playing at 99 degrees at 2 p.m. as a college student. You're like, you know what? Let's just practice at six today. Like, does that work for you? Because it works for me. Like, I'm working my schedule around this. And again, I know the guys who are preparing for the pros, they do try to get out there in those conditions as much as possible. But that's the life for these pro players. Like Adam Walton hit seven times after he was out of the singles draw one of the days. And yeah, he was still in doubles, but I saw him on the practice court at all hours, like shirt on, shirt off, didn't matter. Walton's grinding. I just had to throw that detail in there because shout out to Adam. The six pack is looking good, my friend. Um, I just, it's, it's, it's a callous, like, again, I'm so sorry for comparing it to my own tennis game, but I have now played 10 times in the last 13 days. And I'm just a different tennis player than I was 10 days ago because I've been going through my routines again because I just know how to pace my body a little bit better through the day to peek out on court. And I just think that is an inherent practice you have to learn through timeout on tour. And some guys are just so undeniably talented that they don't need that, that they can show up anywhere and their tennis is just better. But for the majority of these guys, it's two points here, two points there. That's the difference in the match. And it just felt like it was a comfort level. It just felt like all these guys were still a little bit uncomfortable physically, a little bit uncomfortable with the conditions, and just weren't as quick, easy, easy. Uh, were, it wasn't as easy to quickly acclimate. And I know that's a lot of projection, but that was my observation. So I hate to take us down and further this tangent, but I have a follow up on that Please. because if you're Cannon Kingsley, right, yeah. who's thinking, do I come back for a fifth year at Ohio State? Don't you look at someone like? Do you look at someone like Adam Walton or Galarno and say, wait a minute, like they've made really big strides being on tour for one year or two years. Those are bigger strides than I've made at Ohio State. Am I better off staying for another year at Ohio State or am I better off just going pro right now? And if it's the latter, is that an indictment on college tennis? No, because that's the bad. That's not the right example because Ty Tucker does have them out there seven times a day in the summer. And I'm not saying I that do- impugningly. And like Cannon is in particular is a guy who has his routine set. You know, again, he lost his match because he just wasn't hitting the backhand return. No, I just, I only use Cannon because he is a fourth year thinking Turning of extending his stay. Yeah. Right. Like do if I was one of these guys looking at Adam Walton, who, yeah, he was a top guy in college, but so am I. And he's made these big strides on tour. Like, do I stay around for another year? Like, is this an indictment on I, what they can get in college tennis? But I think it's a little – it depends on your context of where you are because, again, for an Adam Wall or, or for a Cannon Kingsley, you're practicing with Tracy who just won a 25K title. And you're tra- practicing with the Boulay who's been top 600 in the world. And just like the guy uh, – Anthrop made a singles final this week as well. We we know what Bernard's capable of. Like, you're competing with really good guys on the level, it's 
a great, uh, you mentioned, it's so personal. Like it's really tough to answer that question because so much of it is where you see yourself developmentally. And every case is a little bit different. Like you just do wonder for a Canon Kingsley, is it time for him to say, you know what? I need to go see the best of the best and what I can do outside of, I don't want to say his comfort zone because Canon again, is a guy of repetition. Is a guy who's ready to be a pro tennis player from a, how he treats his day-to-day life, his day-to-day practices, how he organizes his schedule. And is it just a matter of now exposing your game to the world, the wide world of other games available out there? It's a fascinating question, Jay. Again, it, it just comes down to what are you, it's so personal. It's like, what do you need to work on in your game? And I actually do think for him in particular, it's like, yeah, dude, maybe you do, you are ready in particular to go test yourself. Like you need to see other games then more than anything else and see how you adapt because we know what your game is. But then you watch someone like, you know, again, uh, a Joe Monday where you're like, yeah, man, maybe spend one more year just reining in those weapons, playing a little bit more loosely, hitting through errors, but really reining in the plus one. And, you know, again, you lose at Tennessee. It's a little less debilitating than losing second round in Monastir. It's very case by case. Yeah, that's fair. Game style probably has a lot to do with it as yeah. well. Someone like Adam Walton and Galarno, whose physicality is a calling card, yeah. right, versus someone like – if Eubanks went pro a year earlier, that would have done him no good, <laughs> right? Exactly. Would have made no difference. It's a game style is 100% what it comes down to. I agree. But all right, that's everything that's gone on with the ATP Accelerator. Let's move on now to some of the ITF results. And let's start with the SoCal Pro Series because I do think we've had a couple of notable things happen. First of all, we have two Indian Wells singles qualifying wildcard recipients in both Haley Giovara and Stefan Destanich now. Let's start on the Giovara side of things. She has been excellent here in her pro tennis summer. It's the consistency. And for a Haley Giovara who has always had the firepower, who has always had the weapons to play one exceptional match or 20 brilliant minutes to take a set, it's what she's done week after week here at SoCal. And, you know, again, during her uh, one week sabbatical at a 60K as well. She's now 24 and nine this season in the pros into the top 650. Loses the final, Therese Brantmeyer, this past week, but she won a title a couple of weeks ago in Irvine. I believe she made what four different quarterfinals in the five or six events that she, let's see. She went, we'll go through quickly semifinals, quarterfinals, quarterfinals in Sumter, first round loss, LA, title in Irvine, round of 16 loss, Lakewood, finals in Lakewood. So, that's your seven-week run for Giovara. It's a major step. Like again, only one title in that run, Jay. But top six fifty to put to to get the Indian Wells wild card and to be as consistent as she was. I've been really impressed by what I've seen. Yeah, I mean, if eight weeks ago or you know we were ending the twenty twenty three season, if you had said Haley Giovara is going to lose six round ones and then win two titles, I would say, yeah, I could see that, Uh, right? But for her to do this week in, week out and to have fairly consistent results, I think has been a really good sign for her to be able to deliver that week in, week out. Uh, We talked about this on the episode two weeks ago, but when she's on, she's fantastic. The firepower is absolutely there. Um, And you know, one player who decided not to use her fifth year at Cal is Haley Giovara. And so now she will be able to take advantage of that Indian Wells qualifying wildcard, which was just an awesome opportunity that USDA SoCal has 
arranged with the BMP Paribas Open and uh, excited to see what she can do. I think she might be taking a week or two off, but there's still a lot of tennis for her left uh, throughout this calendar year. Yeah, I think, um, again, just to have that opportunity to, to sit in March and say, you know, like especially because March being the month it is in the college tennis season, that's where you're like, all right, I got two months in the rearview mirror and I still have two months to go after this one. That's hump time. That's where you just need that little extra juice and knowing, hey, I got a little Indian wild card, Indian Wells wild card waiting for me. Well, she's bad, done. I thought she had one more if she wants it because of COVID. She does have one more if she wants it, but I do not think she's using it. She's oft referred as a Cal alum by the Cal women's tennis team. Really? Yeah. Um, I didn't know that. Should have slid mm-hmm. that into news. Well, then guess what? You're starting your pro career and you know, hey, in March, I got an Indian Wells. Qua- well, absolutely. That yeah, much exactly. more beneficial. Um, interesting. I thought she was using the fifth. I, I refuse to write off a player using the fifth until I know for certain they're not using the fifth. That's also true. I mean, she's still a Cal alum, whether she comes back or not. Uh, right? Can we co-op the phrase degree. pleading the fifth? Like that's now a, 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 a college tennis thing. Like, no, I pled the fifth. I took the fifth. Uh, and so <laughs> that's what they're doing. That's quite a popular term to be, uh, yeah, co-opting, to be <laughs> I just like the idea of the stonage, Like they're asking him, he's like, no, I pled the fifth. Um, and uh, excuse oh, me. Oh, if they plead the fifth, they should all plead the fifth. Yeah, right? exactly. You know? hey, like, no, you take the no. fifth, you plead the fifth, you use the fifth. Um, yeah. I mean, for Stefan Destanich, he had to win. This week in Lakewood and to do it from five two down in the third after being up a set on Lerner Tien in the semis to follow it up and beat Andre Illigan in the third set, the recent Hawaii All-American who had won in Lakewood the week prior. And you go nine and one. I don't care what level it is. Nine and one over 10 matches title final on the pro circuit. You have my attention. Huge for Steph. I mean, this feels like his first sign. I mean, I know it was his first pro title, but it felt like the pro results lagged behind what we have seen in college. And this was a week where just like to beat Lerner, especially, I mean, look, I'm sure they're friends. I'm sure they like each other, but you beat your college freshman teammate who, you know, there are whispers. We weren't doing it, but you know, there are whispers. Yeah. Lerner should have probably played one. Like, no, no, no. Still runs through Steph. He's still the guy at USC. Heck of a performance from him as well. Yeah, well, and also, I mean, you felt like Lerner Tian ran into a wall up 5-2 in that third, maybe thinking of those rumors and speculations. Uh, But yeah, I mean, Steph had had a tough year, right? Uh, It hadn't been 2022 Steph that saw him reach, you know, top two in the ITA rankings. And that last summer, you know, he makes the finals of a 25K, he made a lot of finals. Um, He started this summer off rough as well. And so to end this year with his, you know, few good runs at the end, winning this title, securing the Indian Wells qualifying wild card, huge momentum boost for him. Um, and finally getting to see the results that we know he's capable of. Yeah, now he's rolling. And yeah, now you have that confidence going into everything else. And I know I think he was down playing the USTA event, the Shadow Wild Card event as well in Orlando. Um, which did Michael Zhang win? I forget. I, I someone told me who won. I don't think it was. Oh, Spiz, I think won it. Uh, and beat Zhang in the final. For those that were curious on the men's side, not sure what happened on the women's. I got to do some reporting, but I'm sure Reese Brantmeyer was in that conversation. And for Reese Brantmeyer, who had made two prior singles finals, had multiple doubles titles, yeah, on the pro circuit, but she now gets her first pro singles title. She wins in the final four and four over Giovara. Played a really weird semifinal match against Luke Meyer. And credit to Luke Meyer, who, I'll tell you what, her Hans Fung run 
That's a squad. Um, you know, that's a top three, or at least <laughs> yeah. in theory. Yeah, um, in theory. But no, I think it'll be their top three, but they also only have six players. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they're pulling the Pepperdine. But I mean, um, Lutkamaya has been a different player after that yeah. Duke match, right? I mean, when we saw her help clinch the victory for against Duke in the round of 32, I mean, she had a great uh, pro series. She had a lot of deep runs and pushing Brantmeyer, I thought was a great result for her. Yeah, she has played really, really well. I agree, but... Obviously, a big week for Reese, who not only wins the singles title, makes the final with Fiona Crawley. Now they get knocked out in that doubles final. I mean, a lot of good SoCal. More than anything, and I know this is a little bit biased as we got to showcase so much of the action, but shout out to Chris Boyer. Shout out to the USTA SoCal. Seven events consecutively in the Southern California area for players who had just wrapped up their college season. It could not be a more convenient thing for these players who are all so eager to test themselves in the pros and to have local playing opportunities to do so, you know, at these schools, at these country clubs, shout out to the effort. Again, that was made second straight season, raging success. Any final SoCal thoughts? Well, I echo what you say. I mean, you saw this from both Dostanich and Giovara just to say, I mean, having these tournaments in their backyard and to get those pro points, particularly for Giovara, who, allegedly is starting her pro career yeah. but building that that pro ranking is so valuable uh i'll also just say on the reese brantmeyer note the week before she did win uh the doubles title yeah. with fiona crawley i think we're going to see a big summer from brantmeyer she is eligible to play hard courts in san diego so potential main draw wild card to the u.s open if she wins that event um i think we'll see continued big things from her this summer and fall I think the most fascinating thing is where does Andrew Luchonic fit in the doubles lineup next season? And he will fit because he's the reigning NCAA doubles champ. But I'm telling you, I watched Anthrop and Nakashima play and they won a title together and they made multiple finals together. They are freaking good as a doubles pairing. And again, you bring back Cash and Boulay, you bring back Kingsley and Tracy in theory, like they have seven real pieces as they always do in doubles. I think the Ty Tucker line was 24 years of experience in my doubles lineup. Like this is all I've ever wanted. And that's back next season. Plus a really fun piece in Nakashima, who again was the superstar in doubles, but a lot of guys had a lot of double success. And I believe Segerman and, oh my God, Ryan, who'd you play with? Patrick Trahak. Um, they won back-to-back titles in Lakewood. And again, that is a little bit of an odd couple pairing. You wonder if it was like, hey, we played in the round of 32. You want to try playing doubles together? And it's <laughs> like, yeah, sure, dude. And they won back-to-back titles. Two guys who are kicking off their pro careers. Not the worst way to do so. Again, maybe you found yourself something. You know, That's the SoCal Pro Series. Now, again, there's a lot of other good results. And Jay and I could be here talking for three days about everything we've seen over the course of the past week. But now... We're going to go into best of the rest. Jay, I'm seating you the floor for as many minutes as you need. Talk me through what else happened around the globe this past week. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Well, I will start with Toby Samuel. 
of South Carolina, the rising senior, uh, one of the beneficiaries of the Wimbledon doubles wildcard with his teammate, Connor Thompson. Uh, they won the round, first round in Wimbledon. He carries that momentum to win his second 25K title uh, over in Nottingham, a draw that was littered with uh, current and former college players. He is actually now the second highest ranked active college tennis player. He is at 518 right now. He is behind. A wait, wait, wait. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Michael Zhang? No. But he made it. He's ahead of Michael Zhang. Who he's behind. Well, Mickelson doesn't count. Quintern Pro. God, who is the highest ranked college tennis player right now? Alafia. Nope. It's not Alafia anymore. Wow. Who is the highest ranked? Co- is it Lerner? No. It's got to be. I'll give you a hint. He okay. finished number three in the ITA rankings this season. That doesn't help. Um, oh, come on. It's, well, it's not Quinn. It's not Spiz. It's not Rodesh, is it? No. Who finished third in the rankings? Draxel's done. Oh, my God. Once you give me the school, I'll know it for sure, which is the yeah. problem is you can't give me the school. Um, was this guy's team good? <laughs> In theory, <laughs> on paper, I'll say on paper, on they paper, were good. They were very... <laughs> and by the way, Alafia doesn't count because he graduated. Oh, yeah. Good call by you. Um, sorry, Laf. Who is the highest ranked player? Oh, is it Arthur? Yes. Yeah, duh, that was dumb. I knew that. Okay. Alex, your brain still works. Sorry <laughs> to cut you off. Toby Samuel, second highest ranked college tennis player to carry on. By the way, his service forehand are pro good. Carry on. Yeah, and they're having results on the pro level. Uh, so his second 25K title. Another guy who has uh, quite the forehand is Blaze Bicknell, the rising fifth year at Tennessee. He wins his first title at the 25K level in Laval, Canada, beating Ohio State J.J. Tracy in the final there. So those are two uh, 25K titles for active collegians that I will um, leave you with. No, I'm, I can go no, deeper, I'm la- but I'm well, sure uh, you have. You have the Toby thought, great by you. I'm laughing because it just occurred to me that like your in theory joke just landed like, oh, Stanford in theory. Because I, ga- <laughs> I guessed Arthur independently because I was just going through all the conferences. But that's why I started chuckling midway through your answer because your hit was in theory. I was like, oh, Stanford's good in theory. That's pretty funny, Jay. Um, <laughs> yeah, just to talk through uh, those Laval quarters, Ieni versus Tracy, Tristan McCormick was in that appearance you had draxel you had bicknell um yeah it's a, a cosmonaut who i think was unlv maybe if my memory serves me correct um yeah shane you i to those who think i don't look at the mid-majors um i know oh, come on alexander's i know my alexander's um yeah other than that sound effect there all natural that's all i gotta add carry on keep rolling uh, okay, so Emma Navarro, who I feel like is coming up every <laughs> week now, but uh, Grass Clay, I mean, she made the final of the WTA 125K in Bastad. If she had won that, that would have been her biggest title uh, in her career. She is now firmly within the top 60 of the WTA ranking. So shout out to her. She gets a mention every week on this pod. Um, this week, Oh, sorry. Before we go into this week, I'll say my last shout out. And I'm surprised you didn't bring this one up as part of the SoCal Pro Series. Oh, okay. Carry on. But Savannah Brodus winning uh, her (laughs) second 
doubles title there with um, Sadieva, who's transferring from Baylor to LSU. They were the duo that beat Brent Meyer and Crawley in the uh, in the finals there in Lakewood. Yeah, you know my thoughts. I was hoping it sounds more legitimate if someone else brings it up. So I was hoping you were going to, and I appreciate you doing so. And yeah, Sadieva, by the way, made a couple of doubles finals and now gets the title along with it at SoCal. So that's another good shout out by you. You have more? Like you want to keep rolling? Because I, I, I have a couple I'll add, but I, I'll, yeah. Well, why don't we go to your list? Okay, Amina Back to the rest. Thirty years old, playing the best tennis of her career. And by the way, she was there every day at Cranbrook. She's close with the Demuth family. I, I don't think that's inside baseball. Sorry, I I think it's okay that no. I shared that. Well, he shared that on, your on the podcast, pod, right? Yes. Yeah, and so I'm not crazy to say that out loud. Thirty years old, up to a new career high, number one twenty nine. Um, I believe at the sixty k in Saskatoon, she lost in the final of the singles, but. I watched her grinding like she was out there three times a day during her training. It was a training block week and she was helping with the tournament, but she was training every day at Cranbrook and man, does she hit the ball? I was like, Amina. I was like, yeah, people don't talk enough about is Amina Bechtis the best player in Michigan tennis history. I know Brianne won the title, but like, why is Ronnie's team like Ronnie's team started going on their runs when Amina came to town not to disrespect brooke bolander who's one of the old ogs yeah. as well we can we don't have to relitigate michigan women's tennis right now but i mean it's it's bechtis bolander right as that duo and then the fahey minor duo yeah. and then like and then brown miller yeah, yeah i mean ronit ronit is like honorable mention in there but yeah. yeah well she's a little like she's the in-betweener she's the exactly. through line she's yeah. the yeah the through. yeah the way the way Andrea Sardan's the through line between uh yeah Fahey Minor and Brown uh, Miller. <laughs> I hope you listen to Rip Minute Fifty Three, Roddy. Um, shout out to Amina. That I think that's a massive final. That was the big one I wanted to mention. You know, we we talked about Toby Samuel, Charlie Broom, who never you know was number one at Dartmouth, played five at Baylor, which I think people remember him more for, given that Baylor team made national indoor and NCAA finals. He's top. 400 guy in the world now like just mm-hmm. it's real um Rodesh made another pro semi-final Alex Martinez has had a pretty solid summer he makes a final a semi-final at a 25k shout out to my guy Pat Maloney getting his pro his first pro quarterfinal as a full-time pro at the 25k in Dallas you had Schachter making quarterfinal there Micah Braswell making a quarterfinal there those are really my shout outs Jay what did I miss take us home no, I mean, once we got to the Dallas 25K quarterfinals, we're really going best of the rest here. So I think we end it there. We can do a, a this week because there's a lot of good action this week. Well, did I miss any other title winners from the week prior? Like any significant like, hey, don't forget to say this one. I don't think we did. I mean, we definitely did. But like, I don't think we did it that bad. So let us know what we missed in the comments. But yes. All right. With that, again, before we leave, let's look at the week ahead. Jay, what do we got? Well, we have the ATP Newport event, which is always a fun one. A lot of uh, current and former college guys there. You have Kevin Anderson's return to pro tennis, the former Illini making his return after retiring there in Newport. You have Will Blumberg defending his titles there on the in the double side. And then, of course, Elliot Spaziri we talked about and Ethan Quinn both received uh main draw wild cards to that event they also both received wild cards in doubles so a lot of former college guys in newport on the challenger side uh we have 
uh, Inaki Montez in Spain, who just qualified into the main draw. We have Sander Jong, who has had a fabulous start to his pro career from TCU. He is a main draw wildcard recipient in the Netherlands, and then a lot of action in Granby at the challenger level, where um, a lot of former guys are. You mentioned the Champagne Slam. That's the 25K uh, to keep your eyes on if you're looking for current and former uh, college guys. And then, of course, the 15K in Ithaca, always a staple of this summer circuit. Uh, That's what I've got on the men's side. Yeah, Ithaca and Champagne are great draws. They really are, if you are a college tennis fan. And I I think Champagne will have their cameras on. I don't want to promise anything, but I think they're going to pop theirs on uh, for the semis and finals. So, be on the lookout for that. If because the staple as well, you're absolutely right. And, you know, again, we take it for granted now because it's been a couple of years of this, but champagne events at the university of Illinois, I'm pretty sure Ithaca is at Cornell, if my memory serves me correct. And yep. there's the, you know, I don't want to take away from Sil. uh, I'm blanking on his name, their head coach, Silv, the Silv, Silv. So I'm, I'm blanking. I apologize, my friend. I, I will find your name in a second here, but so many college campuses still hosting future events. Like that's a big deal that, uh, that matters that there are still so many opportunities, even after SoCal and Silvio Tenacio. I, I knew that. I apologize, folks. Um, yeah, I was just say it's reminiscent of Tony Bresky old. Like you still feel that in the pro events they have at Ithaca. Um, it's it's just I don't take it for granted is the fact that all these players are going to have these pro opportunities to keep rolling. What's going on on the women's side? On the women's side, two WTA events. We've got uh, Palermo where we have um, Emma Navarro and we have Diana Schneider making her return. I thought we'd see her with some of the tw- WTA tw- 125Ks on clay, but we are getting her this week in Budapest. Budapest. Thank yes. you very much. Um, and then at the 60K to 100K level, this is where we're seeing a lot of women's action pick up where we'll see a lot of current and former players, uh, most notably at Granby, which is a 100K, as well as Evansville, a 60K in Indiana. Uh, We're seeing a lot more U.S. events over these next few weeks in July. The women have like three to four straight uh, 60Ks, uh, which is exciting for them. Uh, If you want to see the full list for a lot of this stuff, I do post those um, on my Instagram, no, I had no problem. And I try and get them on Twitter as well. So that's what we're looking for in terms of big news. Jennifer Brady, former UCLA Bruin, making her return to pro tennis at the Grand B event there. Uh, it's really excited to see her back in action. And then three names to throw out there. Lisa Czar, she's playing 100K in the Czech Republic. Uh, Carolina Gomez of Arkansas, she is playing 100K in Spain. And then lastly, Fung Grantian making her debut at an event above a 15K level. She's in Portugal this coming week Ooh. at the 40K level for the NCAA champ. That's all interesting. I like all those. The, the czar at the 100K, does that grind translate? Because on the right day and the right conditions, good freaking luck hitting Lisa Zar off the court. Yeah, I mean... Look, to see Navarro in Palermo, to see Schneider in Budapest so quickly, it's just, it's awesome. I mean, it's something I don't take for granted. And yeah, that hundred, uh, that event in Granby, it's a really fun draw. You mentioned, obviously, the college tennis players like Beck this in the draw. But I mean, even an Ashlyn Kruger, who feels college adjacent. Like, I know she's just an American, but college adjacent nevertheless. And, you know, again, 
I'm, I'm locked in. I, I think it's going to be a really fun week of action. And obviously we look forward to doing this podcast again next week too. Keep all of you up to date on everything that's happening with these countless players with college ties who are competing week in, week out on the pro tour. Now, as we alluded to, this is how we'll go full circle. If you're missing the college tennis world, there's a lot of good podcasts for you out there, particularly the No Ad No Problem podcast where Jonah Braswell has is the most recent episode. Anything else you want to tease plug for us before we wrap today, Jay? Well, whoever's listening to this, summer scheduling is really hard. I'm sure you've learned this, but some of these coaches, I mean, I'm not going to call them out. They know who they are. A little tough to get on the pod lately, but no, I have a few exciting ones I'm trying to nail down, but it's been fun uh, having some of these people on the show and yeah, give it a listen. Now, again, you are the beat reporter right now in the college tennis universe. You're number one. I was going to make another joke. I'm not. I'm going to leave that there. You're number one in our eyes always, Jay. And that is why it's always a pleasure to have you on this show. A shout out to you for joining us. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, as well, for the of any job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. With that said, again, we will be back next week to continue to keep you up to date on everything happening with college tennis players in the pro tennis universe. But for now, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, for our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.